Good morning. I'm sick. So, this morning's sermon is brought to you by Benadryl and uh, Red Bull plus Fisherman's Friend Coconut Lozenges. Uh, yeah, so anyways, my name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. I'm super glad that all of you are here today. If you're uh, new to us, if you're visiting today, we're in a series called uh, Not Today, Satan. So what we're doing is we're talking about the bad guy that's in the Bible, and it affects different people different ways. So the extremes normally, when you talk about something like Satan or the devil, is uh, the one extreme is... I'm really condescending about that sort of thing. I think it's all nonsense. Um, that's for, you know, third world countries and people that don't know how to think. And, and there's no such thing as evil. It's really just bad sociology and education and psychology. And so I dismiss it all. Uh, on the other end of the equation is Satan's, like, in everything all the time, like there's, there's, the devil's in my in my car, and and it's in it's in the gas prices, and it's in the president, and it's in it's in Pokemon, and it's in Power Rangers, and da ba 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 ba, and it just saturates into Looney Tune land. Uh, in between these two extremes is what does the Bible say about this character? He's introduced very early in the book of Genesis as one of the players in this whole story of what life is and where it's going. So what I want you to do is I want you to pray with me here in a second. We're going to be investigating some more scriptures related to all of this. If you don't believe any of this stuff, that's fine. I would encourage you to be an open-minded person and to ask God to lead, guide, and direct your heart and mind as we explore his truth about these matters. If you'll shut your eyes and bow your heads with me. Father God, we come to you. And Father, we're asking for your guidance. We're asking for your Holy Spirit and your word to open up in our hearts and our minds. Would you walk us down the pathway that you have for us? That we might understand the world that we're in and how to battle the spiritual forces within it. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so um, social experiment uh, happens in New York City. And what happens is there's some moms at a park with their little kids. And in this social experiment, basically the person that's doing the research uh, approaches the moms and says, to each of them, ask the question, have you explained to your kids the whole stranger danger thing? And each of the mothers are like, absolutely, we live in New York City, of course I've explained stranger danger thing. And so we feel like it's all locked and loaded. And so the researcher basically says, well, I would like to create an exp do a social experiment. I think that I can actually lead your kids away from you in the park. There's going to be a person over here filming. I won't actually get out of eyesight from you or anything. Can I do this experiment? We'll see how well you have done with your kids. And all six of the moms agree. And so he goes back to the van, and he gets a puppy. And he brings out the puppy, and each of the children engages with the puppy and is led out to the edge of the park. What's going on? I mean, I thought you 
explained to these children the stranger danger thing. Why, why did it collapse? Did you not? The explanation isn't the issue. The apprehension of the concept is not the issue. The issue is whether it's been actually integrated into the reality of how your children engage the world. But it's not just kids, is it? It's us as well. The Word of God's got all this cool truth in it. But it doesn't matter that there's all this cool truth in it. It doesn't even matter that you read it a little bit. What matters is whether you actually acquire it and it changes the habituation of how you're living your life so that it affects reality. That's the big question. And when we're talking about Satan, because you might go, well, what does this have to do with Satan? Well, Satan's got all kinds of puppies for you. So cute. But don't look at the puppy, right? You look at the string. It's tied to a person. And they're going to take you to the van, and bad things obviously happen in the van. Are we a discerning people? Do we recognize that it's not the puppy or the movie, or the music, or the political party, or all kinds of things. The question is, the lies and agendas, the accusations behind it. Do we defend ourselves, or are we falling into all sorts of traps and ambushes and sabotage? So in the book of Ephesians, it talks about the armor of God. And so the question becomes, what is the armor of God? How do we actually fight off Satan? And that's a great question. Now, if you look at enough pop culture, you learn all kinds of crazy things in pop culture. You need holy water, or you need a rosary, or you need to write scriptures on your doorposts, or you need to do this, that, and the other thing. That's how you fight off Satan. The question becomes, how do we fight off Satan according to the Word of God? If he is a liar, and he's seeking to destroy our lives, and he doesn't come up and act like a bad guy. He doesn't say, hi, I'm here uh, to uh, uh, sell you some heroin and destroy your life. He shows up with puppies and... What does it mean to be armored up? Now, I want you to think about the idea of armor. You're placed inside of something that makes you considerably stronger than you are on your own. Now, that's interesting. In a pop culture sort of way, as well as in a biblical sort of way. In a pop culture sort of way, Tony Stark could probably get beat up by all sorts of people. But you put that Iron Man armor on him, and all of a sudden he can do these incredible things. Jesus says something very similar to his disciples. He says, with me, all things are possible. Without me, you're in all kinds of trouble. Abide in me, and I will strengthen you, and I will do this, and I will do that. But you have to abide. And so it's not just the idea of, am I a Christian? The question is whether you're actually in the armor and it's operational in a way that's practical, that actually affects things. Let me give you an example. An example is, I was bullied in sixth grade. And there's this eighth grader who just got sideways with me somehow. I don't even know. And for about two weeks, he's tormenting me. So every day when we leave from school, he's shoving me and... um, when we get to the bus stop, he's getting a big kick. We're at the bus stop. He looks to grab me by the 
the back of my collar and just kind of shake me around. And this is, you know, you know way back in the 1920s. And so um, it's not like you'd go to the guidance counselor. It's not like there was bullying rallies or anything at the school. This is just your problem, and you've got to try to figure it out. So I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. But, I, you know, there's no Internet access, Google, you know, or YouTube, how to fight off bullies. So finally, after two weeks of just being harassed, I asked my dad, Dad, what do I do? Okay, he doesn't call the school or anything. This is, you know, back in the ancient days. He tells me this. He, he, I tell him what this guy's doing, and my dad says this. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to practice something. I want you to practice taking your right hand. I want you to make it, ball it into a fist, get it really strong, okay? And then what I want you to do is I want you to practice stepping back with your left foot and cocking your arm. I want you to then pivot, and I want you to put your fist, not into his face, all the way through his face. And so I practice all that night. I go, okay, if I'm going to have to deal with this situation, I need to be prepared for it. I need to have sort of habituated it. You know, it's the karate kid thing, wax on, wax off. I got to get it all the way there. It's up and running all the time, ready to go. I get to the bus stop. This kid does this thing. I make a fist. I put my foot back. I cock, and I put my fist through his face, and then I run for home as fast as I can. I didn't know if it was successful or not. I know he didn't chase after me. The good news is when I did show up at school the next day, he wasn't there. He took the next three days off. Okay. Here's my point. My point is I got some instruction from my father about how to prepare myself for a battle. So that when that battle did present itself, I was already ready for it. When you're starting to think about the armor of God, the question becomes, how is God prepping you for how to fight Satan? Because you can't pull out a knife, you can't pull out a Glock. It doesn't work by magic. If he's going to come to lie to you and to accuse you and to trick you and to try to lead you astray... What does it look like to actually get ready for it? Well, it says some things in the book of Ephesians. It says this, Ephesians 6.10, and we'll be following through here in a little bit. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Now, the first thing that I want you to think about, maybe the question rhetorically is, where is this armament? Where, where is the safe place? Where's the strength? Where's the power? Is it, is it in me? According to this verse, be strong within the Lord and His strength. What does that mean? It means when Satan's coming, you better be very intimate with God. Well, I don't know when Satan's coming. Well, this is why the pastor's here. To remind you to be intimate with God 24-7. Because you don't get to say to Satan, hey, Satan... I don't know if you know, it's a holiday, or I'm taking a break, or I'm taking a personal day. Can, you, we, can we get a timeout, a little ceasefire? Because he'll be happy to tell you, yes, absolutely, Dave, I'll take the day off. But he's a liar, so you're, anyways. <laughs> be strong in the Lord and his strength. It goes on and it says this in Ephesians 6.11, the following verse. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes 
of the devil. 2 Corinthians 2.11 has something similar in it. I'm about to cough, so mute me. (coughs) Thanks. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, there's a bunch of things going on there. One is schemes, and one is designs. They both come from a Greek word that we basically get method. Satan is methodical. He has tactics and strategies. There's ways to go after every single one of us. And to be honest with you, we've all been with ourselves for a while. You could probably build a profile about how to jack us up really good. The question is, are we learning how we're getting jacked up, how we're getting attacked, how we're getting seduced, how we're getting tempted, and are we making course adjustments? Are we putting on the armor? Are we getting better at fighting him off? Or are we just sort of in passive mode and we keep screwing up the exact same way over and over again? Again, I want you to be thinking about a couple of things in here. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, what does that mean? It means you need to have the whole armor on. All the things that we're going to talk about, if you've got one component missing... That's your weak spot. So you're going to be thinking about when we're talking about things, where are my potential weak spots? We'll be talking about a breastplate. We'll be talking about a helmet. We'll be talking about a belt. These aren't just metaphors. These aren't just allegorical. You need to be thinking about, are these things in play in my own life? And again, I want you to notice in the Second Corinthians passage, so that we're not outwitted by Satan. Because we're not ignorant of the way he's coming after us. Are you ignorant? Satan doesn't play fair. He doesn't come knock on the door and say, let's, let's, let's rumble. He's got IEDs. He's got ambushes. He's got landmines. That's the way he works. Ephesians 6.12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Paul's putting something into play right away. You're putting on this armor because you need to fight Satan. And we have a tendency to sometimes go, yeah, absolutely. Satan is my boss. Have you met my boss? Or Satan is this corporate person or this political leader or something else. And Paul's shutting all that down saying, that's not the issue. Caesar's not the issue. In fact, we know what God has already told us to do with our flesh and blood enemies. We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to turn the other cheek. We're supposed to walk the second mile. There's all sorts of things about flesh and blood people that are problematic in our lives. Don't confuse the two. Don't think that your enemy is this person because it's not this person. Follow the puppy to the leash to the person that's the puppet master. Game of Thrones, full of violence, right? I shouldn't watch that sort of thing because it's full of violence. Maybe, okay, maybe you shouldn't. I I haven't seen it. I don't know. I don't care. I've heard about the Red Wedding. It's scary. I don't want to be scared. So I don't engage in it. But here's my point about Game of Thrones. There's plenty of violence in the Old Testament, okay? The question becomes, what is Game of Thrones doing to you if you watch it? That's the issue. And if you're buying into, you know what Game of Thrones is all about? It's all about whatever you have to do to win, to manipulate, to lie, to steal, to play people off of each other. And you know what? I'm buying into that. I need to totally Game of Thrones, man, with the way I'm handling things at work. 
Now, now you're in trouble. It's the difference between the puppy and the leash and the puppet master. Are you discerning about the music and the movies and the philosophy and everything else? I mean, I, you know, every now and then I'll just poke around just to get a feel for kind of what's going on out there. You read like Teenage Magazine for Vogue. You could subtitle it, How to Make Teenage Girls Feel Completely Overwhelmed and Inadequate in Every Way Imaginable and then sell them products. That's dark, dude. It's not empowering. Do we recognize? It's not about flesh and blood. It's about the lies and the chatter and the traps behind it. He goes on and he says this, but against the rulers, against the authorities, he goes on, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Basically, what Paul is saying is he's throwing out all these different terms of power and authority and all this stuff, and it's over everything, and it saturates, and it's manipulating people, and Satan doesn't have to come talk to you if he can find a magazine for you that's parroting what he says or a movie, or music, or friends, or an attitude, or a cartoon, or 10,000 other things. We can avoid the schemes and the traps if we're discerning and if we put on the armor. Now here in just a second, we're going to talk about putting on the armor, but first I'm going to have you watch a movie clip. And the movie clip that I'm going to have you watch is a demonstration of exactly kind of the way pop culture talks about how you need to fight Satan, okay? There's some things in the clip that are actually true. There's things in the clip that are not true. I want you to be looking for both because we're going to talk about it afterwards. But the clip has got some of those components like holy water and blah, 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 blah. And is that the way that you put on the armor of God? Is that the way you fight? Watch this clip and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what's true or what's not true. It's from a movie called Constantine. What if I told you that God and the devil made a wager? A kind of standing bet for the souls of all mankind. I tell you to stay in your meds. Humor me. No direct contact with humans. That would be the rule. Just influence. See who would win. Okay, I'm humoring you. Why? Who knows? Maybe just for the fun of it. No telling. Oh, so it's fun. It's fun when a man beats his wife to death. It's fun when a mother drowns her own baby. And you think the devil is responsible. People are evil, Mr. Constantine. People. You're right. We're born capable of terrible things. But then sometimes something else comes along and gives us just the right nudge. Well, this has been real educational, but I don't believe in the devil. He should. He believes in you.
like. What? We should go. Now. What is that? Wings. Maybe towels. You're kidding. Of what? Something that's not supposed to be here. That's really not going to help. Close your eyes. Why? Sit yourself. fun. So I want you to think about what's, what's in there that's true, what's not true. So today after church, I've got some, uh, some gauze that has been uh, uh, knit together by monks from a Catholic monastery in um, uh, Uganda. And I have some holy water for sale for 1995 at the pallet wall. Is that the way it works? Because that's the sort of thing you see in pop culture. Whenever they bring out something like the devil, there's some little tricky mechanical thing. You've got to find the right person with the right stuff in order to protect yourself. But the Word of God speaks about things extraordinarily differently. And the question again becomes, am I informed about the reality that God is talking about by pop culture or by the Word of God? It starts to say some things that we saw in the movie that are half-truths. Satan works by influence, and God works by influence, but there's no direct contact. Well, actually, we have a very interventory, interventing, <laughs> Sudafed, please, um, interventional God and an interventional devil. We see it starting in Genesis, and it works its way all the way through Scripture. So there's not, like, the movie's accurate. It has some components. Ephesians 6.13 says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Again, we talked about it's about having this whole armor on and that when evil approaches and attacks and you know, seeks to seduce you or tempt you or trap you or something else, there's a way that you can stand firm. It can come at you, and you're going to make it. What are some of the components? Next verse says this. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What in the world does it mean to have on a belt of truth. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, a real simple idea would be if you're going into combat, you don't want to be caught with your pants down, but it's not in there to be humorous. It's asking this question about what's girded around you. Is it truth? Again, you're going, what does that mean? Let me put it this way. Are you so 
the word of God that when Satan comes to you with a lie, you can identify it, isolate it, and dismiss it? Or is the word of God vaguely, kind of, sort of in your mind, and you really don't know what God says about all sorts of things because you can't really defend yourself. It's not really there much. In this whole armor of God thing, the beginning part of this little sequence of verses says something really interesting. It says, take on and put on the whole armor of God. In English, we kind of have these simple ways that we do verbs. We do like it happened past tense or it's happening present tense or it's future tense. But when he says put on or take on the whole armor of God, he's speaking in a tense that we don't use. It's called an aorist tense. And it basically means it happened in the past, but that action is continuing to the future. It means basically that you're putting on the armor and you're never taking it off. The belt of truth. Am I in the word of God a lot so that it's filtering through all of these pipelines of cultural noise and it's helping me decide and discern what I'm going to engage with and what I'm not so that I don't have something stuck in here that sneaks around and all of a sudden is making me selfish or is making me this, that, or the other thing. Am I engaged with truth in that sort of way? The other part of this verse says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, well, what's a breastplate of righteousness? Well, it's to protect your heart, your vital organs, right? That's what a breastplate is. But what is this breastplate of righteousness? Is it your righteousness? Or are we going back to this idea that it's armor, it's, it's God's righteousness? Because my breastplate of righteousness to stand before the devil, well, shoot, it's made out of balsa wood. It sucks. It would, it's like made out of tinfoil or saran wrap. It's not about gather up a whole bunch of righteousness so you can say to Satan, I'll punch you in the face. There's some things that happen when we become a Christian. When we become a Christian, it's said that we are seated in the heavenlies, that we are adopted, that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There are all these things that happen to us, whether it's visible or invisible, is irrelevant. One of the things that we're told is, happens to us is that we are imputed with Christ's righteousness. What does that mean? It means that when we're a Christian and we put on the armor, we're encased in a breastplate, not of our righteousness, but of Christ's. Can Christ fight off Satan? Yes. But here's where things are going to start to get tricky. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, you have to actually engage. It's not passive. I believe all this stuff. Well, good. I'm glad you believe that Satan believes all this stuff. It's not about believing this stuff. It's about whether you habituate this stuff and you activate this stuff and you engage this stuff in a way that is producing spiritual victory. Talks about in the book of Proverbs, guard your heart because, you know, in that place, the rest of your life flows out. Are we in God's word? Are we in intimacy with Christ in such a way that the truth is very vibrant in our mind? And if Satan is coming after our hearts, is our heart protected by Jesus' righteousness, which has produced our adoption, our love, our hope, our meaning? Or are you, is your heart looking for something else? Because if Christ is completely satisfying your heart, you're pretty protected. 
But if your heart's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm like 97%, I'm good with Jesus, and that's enough. But I'm 3%, I need some more money, and I'd like an affair. And I'd, you, know. you see where your weak spot is. It goes on and it says this. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And what's he talking about with these shoes? When you think about, you know, like, like combat boots. And what's going on with these combat boots? Having put on the readiness. Well, this is like, you know, being a soldier and you go to bed with your boots still on. Why? Because you, you, you want to be ready to go, locked and loaded 24-7 for the battle. You don't want to go, oh, it's battle time. Shoot, where are my shoes? I need to, I need to, and I need to, could you just wait, a rapist, killer person, give me a sec. It's not going to work that way. What happened when I was in college is Amy and I were married, and we were living in an apartment, and we were up on the second floor of the apartment in bed sleeping. And one night, I hear some voices. <laughs> that sounds worse than I thought it was going to sound. Um, but I hear some voices, and I you know, kind of wake up, and there's voices downstairs. And I go to the stairway that looks downstairs. And as I'm looking down the stairway, I can see flashlights against the wall. And I'm like, oh, crap, you know, what am I going to do? I, I, you know, what's my weapon? Well, I've, I've got like a bow and arrow. You know, I could go Green Lantern, you know, Hawkeye on them, but that's, that's going to take out maybe two. There might be more. Um, so what I do is I just, I, I do the only thing I can do. I gather up and, I, you know, get a de- as deep a voice as I can. I'm like, where the blankety blank 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 is my shotgun? Everybody runs out. Great. Hey, cool. Glad it worked. Glad you weren't killed, David. Glad Amy wasn't raped. The fact of the matter is, David, you were not prepared for that encounter in any shape or form. Are we prepared? Are we ready? Now, you guys are all good church folks. I'm sure none of you have seen a movie called John Wick. But in the movie John Wick, John, John Wick is a retired hitman. Um, but he only kills bad people. Anyways, um, the, the bad people are trying to get John Wick out of retirement. And so they come to his house one day and they bling, bling, bang, 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 shoot, 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 everything you can imagine and destroy his house. And you're like, oh, why doesn't he do something about it? Well, why? Because well, John Wick took all of his armament and he buried it in the basement under concrete. It wasn't available. He was living right on top of its reality, but he couldn't actually appropriate it in any sort of practical way to defend himself. Welcome to failed Christianity 101. People that know concepts that have absolutely no effect in their regular 24-7 life. These shoes for our feet were ready to go, and they're given by the gospel of peace. What is this gospel of peace? Why is gospel connected to peace and readiness? Well, here's part of the idea of what's going on. Is the gospel supposed to have an effect on us? It's supposed to make us, you know, ready to tell everybody the hope that's within us, but also kind of ready to go to war against Satan because we know his schemes and we know he's coming after us. But what's this peace part? 
This peace part is, that's part of what you get also from the gospel. There's a rest. Let me explain that. If I get up every day and I'm in the Word of God, if I get up every day and I'm praying and I'm intimate with God, if I'm debriefing with God about how I'm getting kind of hosed over by Satan, if I'm starting to recognize his strategies, if my wife and my kids are praying for me and I'm praying for my wife and my kids, I'm discerning the culture, you know what? I'm ready. I'm like that gladiator person who's ready. I'm like that person that's gone into the armed forces who's ready. I hear the sound. I get up. I assemble my weapon. I put things in, and I'm just good to go. It's not adrenaline. It's not anger. It's not emotion. It's not reactivity. I'm simply ready to go because I'm prepped to be ready to go. That's the peace that's being talked about here. It's a very specific word about being completely at rest because of complete preparation. Being completely at rest because of completed preparation. So I can stand firm Locked and loaded, ready to go, 24-7, because of the sort of life that I'm living with God. He goes on and he says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, what's this shield of faith? I want you to notice there's an enemy coming towards you, and you lift up a shield so there's something between you and the enemy. What's that thing that's between you and the enemy? It's faith. Faith means what? It means trust. Trust in who? In God. The battle's not mine. It's the Lord's. It's not me being strong. I'm in the armor. It's not my truth. It's his truth. And if I've engaged that way, this shield is effective. But I can say all I want. Hey, Satan's coming. There's a shield. Huh. Do I actually pick it up? Do I engage? There's plenty of people, and I've been there. I'll probably be there again. Satan comes to attack with some temptation. I probably should engage God and get my shield up. But you know, I'm so embarrassed that I'm getting tempted again, and I've failed so many times in this way that I don't even want to talk to God. I don't even want to listen to God. I don't want to even try to connect to God because I know I'm just going to fail again, and I don't want him to be a part of this. You're toast. That's what happens. You think God's surprised by you being tempted? I mean, we talked about that he's prepping us. He's given us this belt of truth, and he's given us all these other things, and we understand the schemes, and he's told us specifically, pick up the shield of faith. Your connection to me is everything. You can't fight this battle on your own. So we're constantly engaging God. God, help me with my boss, because my enemy isn't flesh and blood, but my, my boss is full of lies and wickedness. And you know what? I need to engage all of this with the attitude and the heart and the strength and the character that you want me to engage. So God, help. God, help before I get on the computer and look at the wrong thing. God, help before I flirt with somebody. God, help before I'm tempted to steal or embezzle. God, help with all sorts. God, help, 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 help. You put him between you and your enemy. And your enemy has all these flaming darts, the idea of arrows that are dipped in this stuff with kerosene and it hits your shield and it blows everything up and catches everything on fire. God will be with you in the midst of the battle, but you, the question is, are you with him in the midst of the battle? It says this then in Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. 
A lot of this harkens back to a section in Isaiah 57 through 59. It's not just about Paul saying, hey, look at Roman warriors. He's also harkening back with some of these exact terms to this section in Isaiah. And the section in Isaiah is where God is saying that he's a warrior for justice and for righteousness. When you're putting on your armor, these two things here, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, are the two things that it a person that's a soldier doesn't actually put on themselves. Somebody puts it on them. Your, sword, your shield's already buckled in over here. You can't really do the helmet thing one-handed because you also got to pull the... There's something that somebody places on you. Now, why does this matter? Why does he move to this and this Isaiah reference here? Because this is all about God, these two things. Satan comes to you and says, you're not really a Christian, you're not really godly, you haven't really been adopted, you're not really living this stuff, you're not really this, that, and the other thing. You, you know, are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you're a Christ follower? Are you... This helmet is your remembrance of your salvation. And your salvation isn't because of your good works, or because you tithed, or because you dressed right, or because you gave some money to the church, or some good works, or whatever other piece of religious nonsense you want to believe, your salvation is based upon just one very simple, easy thing, which is your faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. Your faith and trust in him. And then you enter into this thing called rescue salvation. We've already talked a little bit about what happens. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're sealed until the day of redemption. No man can pluck out of my hands what the Father has given me. And the list just goes on and on and on and on. You're safe and you're secure in the stronghold of your salvation. So when Satan comes and says, well, this isn't who you really are, you can say, you know what? I'm kind of a mess, but I'm in this person who has adopted me and has made me safe and secure. And so any issues you have with me, you take up with him and his promises. This helmet of salvation that protects your mind. The next thing that's talked about is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You hearken back to Jesus when he's having his little fight out with Satan in the desert. How does Jesus engage Satan? He engages Satan with Scripture. He counterpunches the lies with the truth. We've already talked about how that scripture needs to be inside of you so that it's accessible. The part of this verse that's really kind of fascinating is this sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it's not word of God like logos, like written word. And it's not word of God like Jesus. It's not that. It's this really unique word called rhema. And what does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit in that moment is going to give you what you need to fight off Satan. But here's the trick. What's he going to give you? Just something that maybe pops up from anywhere that you can just make up? No, he's going to give you Scripture to fight off Satan. You have to have acquired all of your ammunition. Standing there with a gun, going click, 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 doesn't accomplish anything. It's got to be available. So when Satan comes to me and goes, Dave, you know, you're a dumpster fire and you're a tool and you're a jerk and you're this. He says all these things. Then I, I, I get to say something back. I get to say, you know what? I'm, I'm adopted and I'm sealed into the day of redemption. And the good work that he started in me, he will bring into completion. And there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's what I say back to you, little flame boy. 
okay? Because I don't buy your lies. I, I get that I'm not great. I don't claim to be great. I claim to be in the armor of someone far greater than you ever will be. That's what I claim. Now, the question becomes, are you claiming these sort of things? Do you know the schemes, the methods, the tactics, the strategy of Satan? Are you actively engaged in the armor, or are there pieces missing that you've got to start to actually kind of engage? Because it's not about the concept of stranger danger and the puppy. It's about the reality of preparation 24-7 with your combat boots on, not getting up and having your pants fall to the floor. You're ready, you're locked, and you're loaded. Because your enemy is locked and loaded and doesn't take a day off. And if you just say, hey, I'd like a timeout, he's not going to give you one. So I would say this in conclusion. There's a belt. There's a breastplate. There are shoes. There's a shield. There's a helmet. There is a sword. These aren't just cute little word pictures. They represent the reality of training and self-discipline and deep, intimate engagement with God in a way that's consistent. And that when that happens, you become a dangerous person in a great way. That's when the kingdom of God is going to move forward through you and with you. It's also the place where you can stand against Satan. But if you're part-time about this, and it just occasionally is a little knick-knack that you pull out, it ain't going to go well. I want it to go well for you, but all I can do is show you the door. You're going to have to walk through it. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you, and we're glad, Father, that you, um, you want us to vigorously engage you. You want us to be dynamically engaged with life. And you want us prepared for the reality of what Satan wants to do. And Father God, you know us. You know that we, we can be pretty lazy and we can be pretty distracted. And Father, you know that we have the scars that prove that when we're lazy and distracted, Satan eats our lunch. So would you help us? Would you help us to be a lot more like a Marine and a lot less of sort of a volunteer? Would you help us to lock and load deeply with you for our sakes, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of others? And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.